is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 164 for Wednesday, May 21st, 2014. Welcome to the program, everybody. First of all, apologies that this episode is a couple of days late. I know we it, promised to... It's your fault. I know it's my fault. Indirectly, it's my fault. I know we promised to bring this to you on Monday, the... What is it? 19th? Would have been Monday. Um, but I had some computer problems, and my good old trusty iMac here had to go to the doctor for five days and uh, I didn't get it back quite in time to get myself organized for a podcast on Monday. So that's why we're doing it today. Right. So, but your computer is not a person and therefore can accept no responsibility. So ultimately the responsibility is yours because it is a piece of property of yours. <laughs> I guess if you put it that way, that's true. Right. Uh, the power supply died. I came down one morning and it was just off. Totally off. Button would do nothing. Not a single sound or utterance from this computer when I hit that button. But you brought it in. They, uh, they, the techie guys did their techie thing, and they did. Uh, they changed the techie power supply, and now it's techie on. That's right. I took it into Apple. This is a uh, coming up on four year old iMac, so it's well out of warranty. But I took it into the Apple store nearby, and they kept it for about five days and determined that it was the power supply, which made me happy because the power supply is a pretty easy, quick fix. Um, it, all in all, it cost me about 120 bucks to get it fixed, and that's labor parts and everything. So that's not too bad. The other uh, thing they said it might be was the logic board. And if the logic board was gone, it was going to be over $700 to fix. And at that point, I'm not so sure a four-year-old iMac for 700 bucks would have been worth it. So if the logic board is was gone, basically, does the computer work? It's just crazy. It just won't do any logical things. It'll do some <laughs> emotional stuff. <laughs> yeah, nothing logical. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I really don't think so. Actually, what happens is it just doesn't turn on. <laughs> right, okay. It doesn't start acting all weird. Uh, so anyways, that's that's what's been going on in my life. I got to say, the Apple Store service was quite good. Very, I was very, very impressed with them. They were friendly. They were helpful. It, uh, I, you know, it would have been great if I'd got it done, you know, overnight or something, but you can't really expect too much. So, no. um, yay, Apple Store. That's all I'm saying. Oh, well, good. Well, I'm glad your computer's back up and running and, uh, again, managing your household because I know that it does a lot of stuff around your house. So, uh, well, it doesn't do anything. It stays from the same place. It doesn't do anything around the house, but it does, uh, you know, manage a bunch of stuff. It does the vacuuming, washes the windows once in a while. It goes outside, cuts the grass sometimes. You know, oh, it's a very man, useful be a, iMac. That'd be a nice computer. <laughs> it really would. Um, yeah. So anyways, bottom line is uh, the main thing I wasn't able to do is finish watching all of the material for our uh, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. spotlight later on right. in this episode. But that has happened right. now, so after we do some Walking Dead news and one other thing, we're going to get to that. That should be exciting and fun. Oh, good. First, though, we are going to read... I want to read a couple of emails here from listeners. Uh, more or less... Well, one of them's a follow-up to something we talked about before. Uh, but first, we have James from London in the UK, and he writes, Jeff Kober was in the UK at a convention last weekend, and I got the chance to interview him. So I thought I'd take this. Uh, so I so I thought I'd get his take on the term "wild dogs." 
Because mm. <laughs> as you coined them, Jason, they were the wild dogs. Right. And he sent me a YouTube link of his interview, and I'm going to play a clip from it right here. Awesome. I listened to a Walking Dead fan podcast. They called them the wild dogs. Do you think that's a good description of Joe's group of men? Oh, I think that's... Uh... That's very pejorative, actually. They weren't wild dogs. They were very, they were very tamed dogs within certain parameters. Just don't get on their bad side. Now, they had their own rules, didn't they? Obviously, claimed was a big thing. It's like the name of an episode as well. So, how, do you think Joe? You, you seem to think he isn't a bad guy. He's just a product of the circumstance, then, is he? Yeah, it's a. I mean, the world is. Imagine this place is filled with zombies, and you have to survive. You know, I mean, it, it's like the end of the world. The world is over now. What are you going to do to survive? That's that's a huge question, and you know, and they at least had an answer. It may not have been an ideal answer for other people, but for them, it worked. So there you go, Jason. He called the wild dog moniker uh, pejorative. Well, to be you know, to be quite <laughs> fair to me, really, uh -huh. uh, I coined that term or I used that term first. Uh, when Rick first encountered a group of random people inside a building. And it was just basically dominance over everything else. It seemed to be inside that building before we got to know, know them and before we got to know their rules and everything. So, you know, I, I, I kind of agree with him that uh, over the, uh, once we got to know them, wild dogs might not be apt, but... Uh, you know, at the beginning, I think uh, I think it was still a good call. I don't know. I'm I don't know. I don't entirely agree with you. I think they are definitely. I think wild dogs is okay because even though even when we did get to know them, I mean, these were still bad guys. They would they would kill each other if someone broke the rules. And I know, like Jeff Kober said, you know, the rules didn't. At least they had rules. I think was his point. But these these guys were crazy they would stab you in the back any chance they got for your lunch money and i think wild dogs is appropriate in this case despite what he said but they had rules right even the lowest man on the totem pole could say mine or claimed or whatever the hell they said and uh everybody would back them up that that actually uh would back that guy up that that whatever he claimed was his whereas a group of wild dogs that would that kind of rule would never apply. It would be the strongest gets to do whatever the hell they want and everybody else falls in line or they get, you know, set upon. So, in, you know, in that regard, I kind of, I kind of agree with them. All right. I guess, uh, I guess the, uh, the severity of the, the punishment for breaking the rules isn't enough to, or isn't enough to sort of overshadow the fact that they have them in the first place. Right. I don't know. All right, well, Greg from the Internet writes, and this has to do with um, one more email having to do with the, uh, the F-bomb that was not on the episode, <laughs> the right. season finale. Right. He writes, regarding your discussion of the legalities of uttering the F-bomb on TV, there is no legal prohibition on American cable TV. Since cable TV is a subscriber-based service, the FCC's legal position is that cable TV content is invited into the home by the subscriber, who may choose to subscribe to the content or not. This, in contrast to broadcast signals which are ubiquitous and rely solely on publicly owned airwaves for delivery. Long story short, you can legally say any of the, quote, seven dirty words, end quote, or show just about any nudity or sexually explicit scene that you want on cable or satellite TV. Any prohibitions are self-imposed by either the show or the cable channel. So AMC is cable? AMC, I guess, is a cable TV station uh, that you cannot pick up over the air. Right. Okay, so that does make it cable. 
you have to buy a package and invite it into your home. Right. So in in Canadian terms, you know, we can get CBC, CTV, Global, stuff like that over the air. Right. But channels like TSN, which is one of the sports channels, or uh, most of the American networks actually are delivered here as cable channels. Right. So I don't know what the rules are here with the CRTC, but apparently in the States, anything that is a designated as a cable TV can have any swearing, nudity, or sex on it that they want, but they self-regulate to a degree, and they don't include that content. So it's like a vampire. Once you invite it into your home, uh, you know, all bets are off, but uh, you have to invite it <laughs> into your home, and if you don't want it in there, it's out, and then you're safe from that particular vampire. Right. I guess so. Cable TV is like a vampire. That's right. Okay. Um, so I wonder what the Money seven... sucking bloody <laughs> money sucking drain yes. <laughs> i wonder what the seven dirty words are well you uh, google george carlin he does a whole bit on uh, the seven dirty words oh you're right is that where that comes from i guess it yeah. does well i think that he i think the seven dirty words are the seven dirty words but he does a bit that highlights them and he explicitly uses them in a you know you know because he's george carlin and he can get away with saying stuff like that on oh, uh, in a yeah. comedy routine uh, George Carlin first listed the seven dirty words in 1972 in his monologue, Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television. There you go. So he invented them. And the, the list is here, which I'm not going to read on the air because it's it's uh, not very friendly. It does <laughs> They're include, explicit. It does include the F word, though, naturally. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, so AMC is just doing this to themselves by not wanting to say the F word on TV. Right. All right. Thank you to both of you for writing in. Uh, it's good to hear from everyone. If you want to send in comments, send them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And moving right along, we'll get caught up on The Walking Dead News. The Walking Dead News. Okay, we got a couple of quick items in the news today, and then a few that are maybe worthy of slightly more discussion. Okay. The first one is that season five, episode number one, is in the can. That's it. It's done. It's done. Scott Gimple sent out a tweet, and he said, Okay, friends, number 501 complete. My gratitude competes with my awe for this terrific cast, crew, producers, writers, and staff. We hope you dig. Wow. So we're uh, we're in full swing now. Full swing. They've been filming for a good couple of weeks now, since the beginning of May, and in two weeks they completed the first episode. Nice. Which is, I think, about on schedule. I think it takes seven, uh, sorry, 10 to 14 days to do an episode generally. Right. Okay. So there you go. Do you remember last time, Jason? We spoke about uh, Chase Vassar. This was a guy who was apparently cast in a role and he started tweeting things that were then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a football player, right? Yeah, that's right. And he retracted them. Well, there's been another retraction and he tweeted out, I will not be on The Walking Dead. Hashtag, sorry fans. <laughs> Hashtag, I got fired. Uh, sorry about that. And the next day he tweeted, I didn't leak any spoilers for the show. All my tweets are about other projects. <laughs> so Chase Vassar, it sounds like if he didn't have this role, he was at least in conversation about it, but then maybe did this and was like, uh, and was canned. <laughs> Yeah, 
or it was all just a big ruse and he never had the part and he just decided to tweet a bunch of crap and see what he could get away with. It could be that. I mean, you never know. People sometimes are just looking for attention, right? Yeah. Uh, but I would imagine maybe he was at least in discussion for it, or maybe his agent came to him and said, hey, there's this role in The Walking Dead. Do you want to audition? And whether he did or not, who knows? But he he said some things, and then he decided to let us know he's not going to be on the show, so nothing to worry about there. I choose to believe that uh, he was contracted to be on the show, but didn't realize that there was a gag order on uh, on what he could say, and he tweeted a bunch of stuff, and then he got canned. And now he feels like a big shit heel. And this, <laughs> and this is him just trying to save face. That's right. Poor That's Chase. That's a much better story, and I choose to believe that. All right, perfect. Well, speaking of casting, this next item is potentially a little bit spoiler because it, spoilery because it does refer to um, a character. Well, sort of. It's a new An actor has been cast in a role, and I don't think we'll get into speculating what role it is, but if you don't want to hear about a new actor coming on the show, you will want to skip ahead right now. Okay. But Seth Gilliam has been cast as a series regular. Series regular. Series regular. Yeah, he's not just in a he's not one of these guys who's come in as a, you know, a guest star for season 5 with the potential to be a series regular. Word is, he's been cast as a series regular already. Nice. So, Seth Gilliam, he's another guy who was on The Wire. <laughs> yeah, I recognize him. I just uh, I just Googled him, and uh, I definitely recognize him from The Wire. Okay. Well, he joins Lawrence Gilliard Jr. and uh, Tyrese, who's yeah. Chad L. Coleman, who, uh, who used to be on The Wire. And the character, uh, the character code name that he's been hired for is Michael Todd. Michael Todd. Yes, Michael Todd. I don't know how they come up with these code names, but that's what it is, apparently. Oh, he was on Oz, too. That's right. He was Everybody on... seems to come from Oz. I don't know. Every actor that was on Oz seems to be like in lots of good stuff. Nobody disappeared from that show. That's interesting. Uh, I did... I did what did we did we watch Oz for some spotlight way back in the day? I forget. I don't think that. so. No, I don't think so. I've never seen the show. I've what seen was... a couple of episodes here and there, but there was uh there's a, a lot of actors on that show that are uh are very popular now. Yeah. Well, that's that's I mean, that's good. They've all, I don't know, was Oz their launching point and they all went on to bigger and better things. I I I would think so. All right. Well, Seth Gilliam ha- lately has been on Teen Wolf. I think that's an MTV show. Right. Uh, Homeland. I don't remember him from Homeland, but I don't know. I've, I think he was an agent or something. Probably an agent, something like that. And Person of Interest, a show I haven't seen. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes of Person of Interest, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't like it. All right. <laughs> and like we mentioned, going back, he was on The Wire, Oz, as you said. He was in the Star Tri- Starship Troopers movie. The first one? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, there it is. And you know what? I Courage Under Fire. I kind of like the Star Trip. I can't say it, but I like the movie. Starship Troopers. Yeah, the Star Trip Shoopers movie. I love that one. No, it was uh, it was very good. I remember walking out of that movie with my friend Derek, and he couldn't talk for like half an hour because uh, it was just sensory overload for the poor guy. He was in awe? <laughs> no, it just was too much information in a, too much too short of a time. He <laughs> what, couldn't talk. What happens to him now? Because movies now are like that even more. 
Well, he's desensitized now. Oh, okay. He doesn't walk out of movies and have to like take a break for twenty four hours or something. Yeah, back then, yeah, it was uh, it was funny. He couldn't uh, he couldn't talk. He was the same way after watching uh, Blair Witch Project. Oh man, he, he couldn't Blair talk Witch. after that either. <laughs> I know Derek a little bit. He's a nice guy, but that's he's a weird. great guy. He was the best man at my wedding. <laughs> uh, and so, if you go back far enough, Seth Gilliam was on the Cosby Show in nineteen ninety. Oh wow! I find it hard to believe that the Cosby Show was still on in nineteen ninety. That's true, eh? Yeah. Now, part of my problem is I feel like 1990 was 10 years ago, but it was 24. So yeah, it, was, it was like last week or something, wasn't it? Yeah. 1990? Yeah. I remember 1990. That was a good year. Me too. I remember 1990, and I feel like it was a decade ago, but there's a whole decade in there that I'm forgetting about. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I have one more thing. The character description for this character called Michael Todd. Mm-hmm. And it is, Michael is described as having two sides, displaying a friendly, puckish humor, but also having a haunted side stemming from a dark secret. Okay, so Michael is the one side and Todd is the other. <laughs> it's like Victor Victoria, right? He's, he's uh, yeah, he's a, he's a two-faced kind of character, Michael Todd. Yeah, he's Todd. got two sides of the same coin, so Michael Todd. That's good. Clearly, he's got two first names, so that must be it. Yeah, I wonder what his last name is. <laughs> Michael Todd Jones. Um, Which is, a, uh, you know, you know, on a similar vein, one of the uh, one of the names I have for uh, for a son that if my wife le- ever lets me name our son, uh, I want to name him Bert and Ernie, all one word. <laughs> Bert and Ernie. Um, okay, that's a good name, Bert I, and Ernie. I hope you do have a son someday, and I hope she doesn't let you name him. <laughs> yeah, it's probably probably wise. <laughs> probably a good idea. Uh, have you told her that name? Yeah, she hates it. Okay, good. She, well, it's never going to happen, but it's a good name, Bert and Ernie Miles. Fair, One word. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, as long as you get Chewbacca in there somewhere. If you make Chewbacca a middle name, it works with everything. Jason know. Chewbacca Miles. Sounds great. Well, it's got, it sounds like it should be in quotes, though, which Tom, is the problem. Tom Chewbacca Cruz. It, it works with every name. Yeah, so does R2-D2. Jason R2-D2 Miles? No, that doesn't work. Chewbacca sure. rolls off the tongue better for some reason. Right. <laughs> okay, a couple more items in the news now that we've talked about Chewbacca as a middle name. Mm-hmm. AMC, I sent you a link earlier. AMC has launched an Emmy consideration campaign for The Walking Dead. So if you've been paying attention, you will know that The Walking Dead has really been overlooked for Emmy consideration in the bigger categories. Now, they've won for special effects and practical effects and um, things like that. You know, Greg Nicotero and his team do hold a bunch of Emmys for what they do. But when it comes to best drama or acting awards or anything like that, They've never, they've really, I don't think, hardly ever been nominated and certainly never won anything. Right. So, you know, people tend to think that that is related to the fact that people just see this as a zombie show. They don't see it as an interesting character drama that's going to have good acting. It's just going to be all running away from zombies and shooting things in the head. And I guess that gets overlooked when it comes to, uh, you know, Emmy nomination time. But AMC apparently wants to change that. So they've launched this campaign, and they've put together a series of posters promoting the show. And uh, have you got the posters up in front of you there? I do. What do you think of these? They're, they're, I think they're pretty interesting. They're promoting the fact that there is something human about this show, even though there's a lot of zombie mayhem in there as well. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I agree that there is something human in there, and if they're not considering it because they just think it's a, a zombie, uh, you know, uh, 
gore fest, then uh, they're not going to consider it. But uh, yeah, I think this is a good idea that they should consider the the human side of things. Hollywood us in the know. I mean, you know, you and me and a lot of our, all of our listeners know that the the story is the human story. It's not the zombie story. You know, the zombie uh, the zombie outbreak is the backdrop to the story. It's yeah. not. It's not what the story is about. For sure. Uh, Hollywood Reporter writes, the cable network is using its Emmy campaign this year to promote the zombie drama's focus on humanity rather than the gore and special effects most genre shows are known for. The series of posters highlights the character-driven and often heart-wrenching moments that comprised Walking Dead's recently concluded fourth season with the tagline, Something Human. Mm -hmm. So uh, my question really is, I wonder if these posters will have an effect do we expect The Walking Dead to suddenly get a bunch of nominations this year in those categories where it's always been overlooked? Well, I don't think that uh, companies would you know, spend advertising and uh, marketing dollars on something that wouldn't have an effect. So I, I assume that you know, uh, marketing works, and if you're marketing to the... Who picks the Emmys, the Emmy nominees? It's not like the Academy where it's a group of people that uh, are all you know, industry people. It's... I don't know. know anything about the Amity's behind the scenes? Honestly, I do not know how they pick the nominees or if they're even voted on for the winners or how it works, no. So it's just a guy named Joe sitting in his basement going, I think Game of Thrones should win for best Game of Thrones adaptation. Well, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I don't know, so why not? Yeah. Um, and, you know, anyways, I I have often wondered if, like, because movie studios do this with, with movies, right? They take out full-page ads in newspapers to for your consideration. You know, here's our movie, please nominate it or include it, whatever. Um, I've often wondered if that has any effect, although there's probably some data analysis study done showing, you know, comparing movies that have had ads or campaigns around them versus the actual uh, nominations. I don't know, but... Uh, who knows? I, I mean, we'd have to take a look at it. But I hope, I hope it does work. Well, I, I just, I think historically spending uh, marketing dollars on uh, this kind of thing probably has worked in the past. So I would think that this kind of thing would and should work. Mm -hmm. And I hope it does work. Yeah, it would be nice to see The Walking Dead get some, uh, get some love at any time. Now that said, uh, what's his name? Um, Robert Kirkman has been asked numerous times, are you ever disappointed that your show doesn't win Emmys or really get nominated? He said, you know what? I'll take those 15 million viewer ratings over an award any day. Oh, well, yeah. So I don't feel too bad for them not winning the awards, but it would be nice. An award is nice, but, uh, you know, a check in my back pocket is nicer. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is uh, it would be nice for the actors themselves to get recognized because, you know, sure, they're getting paid handsomely as well, but they're the ones... You know, they're the ones doing the heavy lifting on screen. You know, yeah. there are lots of behind-the-scenes people that put in just as much hard work. But um, it would be nice to see the actors get a little recognition, um, too. So, let's yeah, see. if you're an actor, if you don't get external validation, then what's the point? Really, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't just do it uh, for your own sense of well-being. Right. It's It's the external validation that really makes a difference. Yeah, of course. Okay, one more item in the news here. AMC calls Frank Darabont's lawsuit ill-conceived. <laughs> that's Probably. my that's my headline. Um, for those who don't remember, Frank is 
suing AMC, and he's claiming that they owe him a whole bunch of money, which has been withheld because of that whole vertical integration method of producing and distributing the show themselves, AMC. Right. And he's unhappy about that because he feels he's getting screwed out of money that he has owed. Yeah, he's also, you know, when this first came out, and I uh, I think the position I took was he, he's an industry professional. He should know that this kind of thing happens, so he should have worked this out in his contract to begin with. And since this uh, came out, I've actually heard of this happening all over the place. Like, it's one of those things where once you hear a word, mm-hmm. uh, once you learn a word, you hear it all over the place. This kind of thing I've heard of, like, at least a dozen times since we first talked about this story. Yeah. And so now... I am aware of this, and you know, if I was ever going to go into uh, some kind of agreement where my the money that I would make would be dependent on how much money they spend on their you know insider distribution deals, and uh, you know to record losses when in fact you actually have a profit um, because of this vertical integration, I would work this into my contract where it my you know how much money I'm making isn't really dependent on that because I would get screwed if it was dependent on that. So he should know, and I agree. It's probably ill-conceived. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand you don't have too much uh, sympathy for Frank Darabont, and you've kind of convinced me. I don't really either. He should have known what was going on when he was signing this deal. Uh, But here's what AMC had to say in a statement that they submitted to a New York Supreme Court judge. They said, doubling down on their ill-conceived theory of the case, plaintiffs, that would be Frank Darabont and his crew, (laughs) now seek to use discovery to conduct a fishing expedition through the files of defendants, that would be AMC, a television network, two television studios, and a parent company, apparently more than just AMC. Uh, to obtain access to highly sensitive proprietary and confidential information that bears no relevance to plaintiffs' claims, including highly confidential and proprietary information relating to television shows other than the one at issue, The Walking Dead. Right. So he's he's going after uh, their uh, their structure. He's like- yeah, their accounting practices and their structure. He's trying to say you've done this. It sounds like you've done this to all your shows. So you guys are actively and knowingly screwing people over legally. And I think that's what he, it sounds like he's basing his argument on, which, uh, again, doesn't work. We're all big boys here, and if that's the kind of deals people are entering into, then so be it. Unless they're being coerced somehow, but that's a whole different question. Right. And, and of course, that's the position that AMC is going to take when submitting a statement to uh, a Supreme Court judge is, yeah, this guy's full of shit. Uh, and he's just, it's just a fishing expedition. I hear that like all the time in Law and Order. They use that as a catchphrase. <laughs> it's a it, fishing expedition. Yep. Just trying so, to catch fish. So of course they're, uh, they're going to throw that in there. One other thing that was interesting that was disclosed in the document that they submitted is that AMC paid Frank Darabont close to $3 million for his work on the first two seasons. Hmm. Uh, which is interesting. That kind of those kind of numbers don't usually come out, right? Um, and I, I I don't know. Three million bucks sounds like well, well, it sounds like a lot of money to me. But you know, to your your average TV successful TV producer, maybe that's pocket change. I don't know. 
Yeah. So well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what his position is. Is it his position that uh, he got screwed out of money and didn't know what he was doing and uh, deserves to have the contract that he's always wanted in his in his dreamland, or is he, uh, you know, standing up for the little guy, saying you've been using these accounting practices and everybody on the planet, every company I can think of, has been using these accounting practices to show losses where in fact they have profits in order to not pay out. Uh, percentages on profits to anybody, uh, you know. I'm taking. I'm bringing this to the attention of the Supreme Court to uh, to challenge the system, and he's, uh, you know, he's being the uh, the guide for the little guy. What like what's he doing here? I I don't know. I mean, he could be doing something like that, but that sounds more like a class action lawsuit. But yeah. it's it's just him, right? So if he's trying to fight this to set a precedent so that future generations of TV producers won't have to deal with this. You know, maybe he thinks he's trying to fight the good fight on behalf of everybody else, but I don't know. It's it isn't it isn't really that clear. All right, so the uh, you know the successful uh, directors producers should all get together in a class action lawsuit to uh, to make more money. Right, have rich people sue other rich people for more riches. Right. <laughs> Sounds fair to me. Why not distribution of wealth to the wealthy? That's right. Spread the money around. <laughs> All right, that is your that is your Walking Dead news update for this week. We are going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we will we be we will be doing our Lawrence Gilliard Jr. spotlight. Please stay tuned for that. Today's podcast is brought to you by you, the Talking Dead listeners. If you want to help support the show, there are lots of great ways that you can do it, including going over to Patreon and making a small uh, pledge over there to help us uh, keep going with the show. Visit patreon.com slash the talking dead, and there are a few different levels of pledges, as small or as large amount as you want, you can send to us. As little as one cent a month, I think. I'm not 100% sure if you can <laughs> if you can do a cent, but it generally starts at a dollar. But there are also some reward levels to go um, if you if you meet those to get some some cool rewards. So go over to Patreon.com/slash/TheTalkingDead. You can also support us by visiting AudibleTrial.com/slash/TalkingDead for a free audiobook from Audible and a free 30-day trial to uh, try out their service. Now. Over the years on the show, Jason and I have recommended lots of books to get you started. And one that comes to mind this week is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I just mm. recently watched all four of the movies. That was that would be three Swedish and one American. And uh, I, I, read the, I read the trilogy of novels, too. So I highly recommend doing that. I think they're great books and great movies. So... If you want to get started with a free novel from Audible, visit audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. 
And don't forget to visit our Amazon link at amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do any of your Amazon shopping, and a small portion will come to us, and it doesn't cost you a thing. And also, don't forget to leave us a nice review on iTunes. Or a bad review. Any review, really, would be acceptable. Be honest. Don't just leave us a review because I said leave us a bad review. But, you know, leave us a, an honest review. Your actual, real-life, honest-to-goodness opinion would be greatly appreciated. It is a great way to help support the show on iTunes. Thanks to everyone for supporting the podcast and listening. It really makes our hearts warm and our cockles fuzzy. <laughs> that took a wrong turn. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> everybody we're back thanks for sticking with us it's time now to do our walking dead actor spotlight on lawrence gilliard jr aka large jr <laughs> aka stokey monster the stokey monster that's right he's got a lot of he's probably got more names around here than just about anybody we've involved in this podcast really larry lawrence just to name a few yeah uh and all the funny ones you've given him so we watched a whole bunch of stuff for Larry Gilliard Jr. here, including The Wire, including The Beast, Straight Out of Brooklyn, Would You Rather, and The Machinist. I think let's start with The Wire, Jason. Okay. Let us start with The Wire. And I'm going to say something right now that is probably going to come off as terribly controversial. Ter terribly. Yes. Not wonderfully controversial. Well, terribly controversial. Maybe it depends on your perspective. I watched season one, episode one of The Wire, and I didn't like it very much. I'm speechless. And I know that's going to offend a lot of people out there because The Wire is one of the most well regarded shows ever on TV. And I completely understand that you cannot judge a long-running TV show on one single episode, especially the pilot. Because as you know, or at least as my experience tells me, pilots are often nothing like the rest of a TV show. And TV shows evolve over time, and you have to get to know the characters and the style and all those sorts of things. But when it comes down to it, the pilot of The Wire did not blow me away. Well, The Wire itself has a certain charm to it that uh, becomes more evident. It's not that the pilot is different than the rest of the show. It's not that the show gets better. It's that the... Uh, uh, it, it's, it's a different show. It's a different kind of show. It's not the uh, the fuzzy, happy, uh, you know, giving you a good payoff where the bad guys get it, you know, get it stuck to them and the good guys are uh, are really good. This, this show is very murky. Mm -hmm. It's a very murky show. And its charm in in this murkiness uh, becomes more apparent the more that you watch. Because nothing is clean, nothing is easy, there are no good guys, there are no bad guys, there's just people trying to do shit, and <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's sort of my point. Like, 
I know that you can't really judge a show, and that's one of the shortcomings of our actor spotlights, in that we pick a TV show or a peak TV episode, and we only end up watching one or two episodes, which isn't really fair. And I get that, you know, one episode of The Wire or one episode of any TV show isn't really enough to form an opinion on the the show sort of as a whole, right? Right. And if The Wire does have some charm in the murkiness of it, I'm I'm sure it does, but it doesn't come across in one episode. Right. And and I think especially probably not in the pilot, but I found it a little bit boring. I'll be quite honest with everyone. Um and you know, I trust everyone's opinion and that it is an amazing TV show. A guy who lives a couple of houses over from me, he does not watch TV. The guy the guy had 14 months off from work on parental leave. He didn't go see a single movie. He didn't go he didn't watch anything on TV. Like he I like the guy, but I just don't understand his <laughs> what he does with his life. Yeah, every once in a while I meet somebody whose reality just does not intersect with mine. Right. It's just, you know, every once in a while you got some kind of common ground. Somewhere along the line your realities kind of intersect and you can Yeah, some sometimes I just meet somebody who's just got I got nothing. But this guy has watched The Wire. Like right. and and loved it, and he said it was a fantastic TV show. So, you know, I what does that mean? If he's never watched a TV show, doesn't watch TV, and he watches this and loves it, you know, really, can he trust his opinion? Well, maybe it's just maybe he just likes the warm glow of the TV, and that's the one thing he watched that happened to be on. No, it happened I, to be on. I, I I do. I mean, I think the fact that he's seen this and like nothing else, this is the one thing he chose to watch and really enjoyed it. I think that says something about the show and about him, probably, but. Look, The Wire, I'm sure, I'm sure it's an amazing show and I will I will not give up on it after one episode. I will definitely give it a chance because I if for no other reason than I got to I feel that I need to make my own formulate my own opinion on it because everyone else tells me it's so good. And if I end up not liking it, so, you know, so be it. But I'm not quite there yet. So if this guy doesn't uh, watch TV or go to the movies or anything, does he spend all his time looking at porn on the internet? Like that can suck up a lot of time if uh, <laughs> if that's your thing. I really don't think so. I, you know, he he was off. Uh, tech, yeah, he was off for fourteen months from work. He, it technically wasn't a parental leave, without getting too much into his personal life. But he he uh, his kid was in school full time. Like well, full time, like full day. Does I he mean, read? His, his kid was in school. Yeah, he read books, and he worked out a lot. I think. Okay, so you know, okay, so that that's stuff that I can hang on to. Like I, I, I was an avid. I haven't read all that much lately, but uh, I was an, since the internet really came into my home. <laughs> but uh, you know, avid reader, I can get on board with working out. I can get on board with, even though that's you know, once the internet came into my home, that really kind of fell off as well. <laughs> but uh, stop doing that. Uh, at least it's something I can hang on to. And, you know, if he looked at porn all day on the internet, you know, I can get on board with that, too. Sure. I I don't know that if if he does that. Maybe he does. I, I just know about the reading and the work. He has a computer, out. right? Yeah. But does he know what a podcast is? Uh, I had to explain it to him. No, I got, I'm back. I'm back. There. I got nothing. <laughs> all right. Anyways, um, so I didn't love The Wire. Uh, you're a big fan of The Wire, right? I, I watched The Wire. I really like The Wire. It is murky. It is not an easy watch necessarily. It's not one of those things you throw on and just kind of, uh, uh, you know, watch and enjoy the warm glow of a TV show. It's, you know, it's more active than that. It's something you have to pay attention to and accept 
It's uh, it's not an easy thing to watch, I don't think. See, I'm good at that, though. Like, I pay attention to TV. I, ne- I never watch TV shows while I'm doing something else, like with a laptop or an iPad or, or anything. Like, I pay attention to TV shows when I watch them. So this should be right up my alley. If it takes that kind of dedication, this should be for me, I think. See, there's an episode. I'm going to do it. You know, is it too—can is it too, uh, I spoil the wire a little bit? Uh, Dominic West, who plays one of the main characters, he's a British actor. You know, in this show, he's playing an American guy, does an American accent. There's a point where he has to go undercover and put on a British accent, and it's hilarious because it's a bad British accent. So he doesn't even use his his own British accent. He puts no, on a bad one. It's a bad one. It was. It's just. It was a brilliant episode. And you know, I don't know if it's in the first episode or the second episode, or it's early on in the first season where uh, Dominic West, his character, and his partner go into. Uh, you know, go into an apartment and start doing, uh, you know, doing some investigation. And the whole thing is like 10 minutes of them saying cocksucker or son of a bitch or just swearing. And it's all like everything's played out with just them just swearing and figuring out things. And after 10 minutes, you know exactly what happened in that crime scene. I think that was... them not saying a word. I think that was one of the seven dirty words. Yeah, well, we'll see you if know. you we'll see if you get through all of them by the end of the well, show. Well, we can't broadcast this on one of the uh, the major networks in the U.S. Then, oh, damn, it. <laughs> damn it! So, really quickly, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. is on trial at, in the first episode of The Wire, right. and um, is it this West character that goes into the courtroom and sits there and watches the trial before they clear it out? Well, Dominic West is is, is, is uh, the actor's name. It's uh, Jimmy Mc, uh, McNulty. Okay, sorry, I didn't I didn't catch their names when I watched sorry. it. One thing I yes, didn't understand, I didn't understand about this episode is later on the guy's boss reprimands him for going and sitting in that courtroom, and I didn't understand why that was a big deal. I don't well, know. That's if- that's that's what it comes that 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 is part of the charm of the show and comes out a little bit later. Like uh, the police department really shits on its detectives for doing anything that is not strictly their job. Anything above and beyond mm-hmm. is uh, is frowned upon by the higher ups. Really? That's, okay. That's one of the ongoing one of the you know one of the major themes in the in the show is that uh, why would you do this? That's you know that's above and beyond. That's not that's not your job. You didn't need to go there in order to uh, to clear your board to clear the the murders on your board. I, Why would you do that? Don't do that. I, 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 I thought it was something more than just that, though, because in the end, Gilliard walks, I think, from the charge. He does, And yeah. I, I, I got the feeling, and maybe I missed something, but that the fact that he was there contributed to the fact that he was let off of the charge, and that's no. why he was reprimanding him. But No. Okay. I, I, if, if that's the case, then I completely missed it. Okay. Well, anyways... Um, I will. He got. He was. uh, He he got off because uh, they got to a witness, right? A witness recanted. Oh, that's right. That's right. She she retracted her testimony. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, Lawrence Gilliard Jr.'s boss was also in the courtroom, Mm -hmm. giving her the stink eye. (laughs) You don't want that. No. All right. Well, I was Idris Elba. Oh yeah, I recognized him. Yeah, he's cool. Okay, I didn't love The Wire, but I will give it another chance, and I will watch more of it, and probably a year from now or whatever, when I've watched all, what is it, five or six seasons? Yeah, just just watch the first five seasons, 
And right. uh, if you don't like it after that, just stop. Just stop. Perfect. Yeah. And, okay. you know, by then, I'm sure I will love it, and that's it. It took me a long time to get into Battlestar Galactica, and I ended up it loving it. I had to force you to watch it every episode back-to-back over a single weekend. You did. Well, every episode of season one. <laughs> season one, yeah, sorry. That was tough. I remember those episodes the least of all of them. Not because it was so long ago, but because they were all mashed together. It, it's, it's all jumbled in my brain. Like, if anything, I should go back and rewatch that someday. Yeah, Boomer's Asylum. Thank you. Thank you once again. Uh, Okay, so let's move on to The Beast. Right. So The Beast, did you watch episode one and two or just two? I did. I watched episode one and two. So did I. So The Beast is a show from five or six years ago starring Patrick Swayze. Mm -hmm. It's the Swayze. Yeah, that's right. And another guy named Travis Fimmel, or Fimmel, who play FBI agents and Large Jr., who plays another agent called Raymond Beaumont. Right. So this show I had a funny relationship with. Watched two you episodes. Did? Yeah. And I kind of liked the first episode. I, I got to admit, I, I sort of liked it, although I really, really didn't like Patrick Swayze. <laughs> no, you know what? I watched this show, and I didn't like it. I didn't kind of like the first episode. I didn't kind of like the second episode. I really dislike this show and I was afraid of disliking this show which is partially why I never watched this show because you know saying you don't like something that uh, the Swayze's in is uh, you know it's dangerous it it is a little bit but see I I kind of like the first episode I thought Travis Fimmel did a nice job in that episode actually I, I I thought he was okay now Swayze was super cheesy and he just came off as overly serious and uh and I wasn't sure if you know if it was him or if it was like the bad writing he was the bad lines he was delivering because there were some dumb dumb dialogue in this mostly dumb dialogue there was dumb situations there was uh you know spoiler alert he shoots a rocket at his own SUV through a window that's right it's like come on you know, the military is going to be hovering over you with black helicopters in about 14 seconds if you do that yeah. in downtown wherever. Chicago. Downtown Chicago, you shoot a, a rocket launcher out a window of an apartment building and blow up an SUV. Like, it, it was dumb, but I I felt like all the bad dialogue was from Swayze's side. And I, it may have been the way he was playing it, the way he was delivering these lines. But the other guy, I thought, did an okay job. And to be honest, I kind of liked what they set up. In the first episode. Okay, that was the one thing I did like as well. Right. I liked the way that they, they set that up at the end when everybody was on the train car. Yeah. Including uh, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. Yeah. When you found out that he's actually... Uh, you know, am I spoiling this? This this is a bit of a spoiler. Listen, here, right? we I think we can spoil the beast. Uh, no one's ever going to watch this again. And if you do, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So to find out that he's an agent, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. is an agent, I really like that. I like that kind of concept. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't like the dialogue. I didn't like the situations. I thought Travis Fimmel was, I didn't think his, uh, I recognized him from somewhere. I know where he's from now. But at the time, I recognized him. I'm like, oh, where do I know that guy from? But I didn't like his acting in this. I thought it was a little bit off. He's from Vikings. And watch Vikings. It's actually a really good show. I've heard. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like this, but that one situation I did like. Yeah, the concept, the idea of it is a good, 
a good concept for a show, I think. Yeah, it was a good concept for a show. But you're right. I, I watched the second episode, and everything I, I liked just went out the window because I thought the second episode was god-awful. <laughs> like, just so dumb and so bad. And all the problems with Swayze were just worse, and Travis was worse in this episode. Yeah. Lawrence Gilliard Jr., he, he gave a pretty even performance throughout. And in fact, there's a scene early on in the first episode where... He he gives a performance that's very very different from the actual character that he's playing, right? And I thought that was really good. Like he was the best part of both of these episodes, in my opinion. I would agree with that, right? I would absolutely agree with that. And that's saying something, considering Patrick Swayze's in there. Yes, right. Saying something dangerous is what that's saying. Saying something dangerous. So overall, the Beast was pretty disappointing, but Gilliard was really really good, which which is a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, what do you want to do next? How about Straight Out of Brooklyn? Straight Out of Brooklyn, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So here's an old movie. This is Lawrence Gilliard Jr.'s first IMDb credit. So we hunted this sucker down, and he plays a character called Ten- uh, Tennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis Brown who is a kid living with his family in Red Hook, Brooklyn, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn, I guess. And the movie sort of depicts the poverty, drugs, crime, domestic violence, and all that sort of good stuff around uh, this neighborhood. And Dennis decides that he wants to get out of this life, and he comes up with a plan to make money by robbing a local drug dealer. Mm-hmm. So for me... Jason, I can't really claim to have any firsthand experience into this kind of life. No, me neither. Um, but this Other mo- than Good Times, which was set in the same neighborhood. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah, the projects. Okay. Well, I didn't. There were not a lot of good times in this movie. No. There were two characters, one of them, one of whom, which was played by the director, who were sort of providing some comic relief, and I thought those guys were funny. I liked them. Yeah. They were entertaining to watch, but you know, other all the other stuff in this movie to me it felt pretty authentic it did it was authentic and uh i i liked this movie overall like it was a very low budget thing and i did a bit of research in the into the director and it was done for peanuts over the period of two years and none of the actors got paid kind of thing no and if you look up the actors on imdb almost every one of them are like one shot actors like they never did anything before or after this movie same with the director really well, yeah, he's Sorry. done a few things, but you're right. It's pretty close. Um, other than the, the guy who plays uh, Large Junior's dad in the film, he's a known actor. Right. Um, yeah, overall, I like this movie. It did seem very authentic. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I think it was good. I mean, the acting wasn't the best because it was a very low-budget thing. And, the, you know, the, you don't get the takes and the uh, the situation where you get to get the best performances out of everybody. No. But uh, I thought it... I like this movie, and I liked uh, I liked Lawrence Gilliard Jr. in this as well. Well, for a first performance too, or or you know he probably done other things, but for for a first credit on IMDb, he was he was great in this movie. Yeah, he was really good. He had some serious, some heavy duty scenes that he had to pull off, like when you know his his dad in the film uh, beats up on his mom a couple times, and yeah, you know he's got a he's got to act sort of his reactions to that, which I thought were really really good. Um, I went and looked for some reviews of this movie because I agree with you. I liked it too, and it felt really real to me. So I went and found uh, a couple of reviews, and Roger Ebert 
I think, put it well. He said, Matty Rich, who's the director, will someday, I imagine, make slicker movies than straight out of Brooklyn, movies with more so-called entertainment and production values. But he will never make a movie more obviously from his heart. He financed this film in bits and pieces, asking the actors to work for free, filming on weekends over a period of two years, draining his family and friends of available cash, looking for loans and deferrals. And the important thing is he kept at it, and it's an honest, effective film. Mm -hmm. I think that says it really well. One other review I came across written by Hal Hinson in the Washington Post, he said, Rich's greatest strength here is not his artistry, but his lack of it. Working with the unchiseled marble of his own life, the director seems almost too passionate to bother with aesthetics. He doesn't want anything to stand between his audience and the lives of his characters, not even style. Right. Again, I think another really interesting quote that describes the movie really, really well. It's just a raw, sort of honest depiction of life and what people are going through and, you know, willing to do to try to get out of it. Right. Um... And one one other thing is that, uh, you know, Large Jr. in this movie seems so far removed from his character on The Walking Dead. I really enjoyed watching him do something that was absolutely, totally different than Bob the Stooky Monster. Right. You know, it's completely a different, uh, different guy. And it was 24 years ago or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 1991. I thought, you know, it kind of reminded me of uh, Boys in the Hood which came out like uh, two weeks after this was released. Oh, yeah? So I've it was seen, right around the same time. Never seen uh, Boys This in came the out Hood. in June of 91, and Boys in, I looked it up, and Boys in the Hood came out in July of 91. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I forget exactly what my point was. What was what was I starting to say when I I don't know. That up? 23 years ago, uh, Larry Jr., he's come a long way since then. Yeah, he has come a long way. <laughs> you know, it was a very honest depiction, and uh, I think the actors did uh, did a really good job, and especially Lawrence Gilliard Jr. His was a, a really, really powerful performance. So seek this movie out, people, if you want. If you want to see an early Bob Stuckey on screen, seek this out and, uh, and give it a watch. He wears some sweet acid wash jeans in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. It's worth it right there for that. Uh, okay. Would you rather, Jason? Would you rather? Last time you asked people if would you rather sweat mayonnaise or cry ketchup? And the answer, <laughs> of course, is cry ketchup. <laughs> the answer, of course. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Uh, do you have any more would you rather questions to throw out there before we talk about this movie? Not, uh, I can look some up. I don't, can't think of anything off the top of my head. Would you rather poke yourself in the ear or poke yourself in the belly button? That seems crazy. <laughs> it's not really. Would you yeah. rather lick a lollipop or a popsicle? Well, um, hmm. Popsicle. <clears throat> yeah. I think. Uh, would you rather um, lick? All right. Here we I looked up uh, <laughs> wouldyourrather.com. Why, why, why is it Wake always Wake up lick? naked and uh, sore without any memory of the night before next to the Burger King telling you had it your way or... Wake up naked next to Ronald McDonald telling you y- you were loving it. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'd take Burger King over McDonald's, so I'm going to take Burger King over McDonald's. <laughs> well, at least that way uh, you, you, you had it your way rather than you were loving it, whatever Ronald was doing. <laughs> That's right. I, I was calling the shots with the Burger King guy. Uh, would you rather have $100,000 in real money or a million dollars in Amazon gift cards? Ooh. 
Um, that's a tough one. I probably the hundred thousand in real money. Uh, I would take the gift cards. Would you? Well, you know, I I have a job. I make real money. Gift cards, you know, on Amazon, you could get a whole bunch of stuff. You, like, I mean, a million dollars in gift cards, a whole bunch of stuff. I suppose you could. You know what? Just buy stuff and sell it. Yeah, gift card's a better idea. Yeah. You could you could make a lot of money with a million dollars in gift cards. Okay, let's talk about the movie now. Okay. Would you rather watch this movie or poke your eyes out with a stick? I would rather watch this movie because it had uh, it had Ricky in it from Trailer Park Boys. Ricky from Trailer Park Boys? Yeah. Ooh, which one is that? He was, what was his name? He was the guy that stabbed uh, the old lady in the leg. Oh, that guy. Yeah, okay. Rob right. Wells. He played Peter. He was uh, he was Ricky on Trailer Park Boys. All right, so this movie had some in- an interesting cast of characters. It, of course, starred Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. It had Sasha Gray, the porn star, in another role. Yep. It had uh, Enver Joke, however you pronounce that, also of The Walking Dead, and Dollhouse. And it had Larry Gilliard Jr. in the role of Dr. Barden. Oh, don't forget uh, Eddie Steeples, who was Crab Man in uh, My Name is Earl, who's the Afro guy with the Afro. Oh, that's right. Crab Man. Oh, my gosh. It had uh, Jeffrey Coombs, who uh, who played Wayoon in Star Trek Voyager. Don't know He was him. The, the main guy. All right. And uh, it also had the lady, uh, the old lady from Nebraska. Which is a film that came out recently, which is uh, really good, and she played the the mother, which I, was a fantastic role. I gotta I think watch. She won an Oscar for that. Wait a minute, not for Nebraska. Oh, I don't know. I got. She maybe. was up for it. Let me look. I'm gonna look her up. Maybe I gotta watch Nebraska. I've heard it's really good. So this oh, movie, it's really good. this movie had an all star cast. When you lay it out like that. Oh yeah. Or and a, Sasha Gray, a porn star. At least what, a well. You asked for at least a well known cast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. So the concept here is people are invited. People. Are who all need something in their life are invited over to a millionaire's house for dinner and they end up in a game of Would You Rather, a deadly game of Would You right. Rather. And Larry Gilliard Jr. plays Dr. Barden, who is a former winner of one of these competitions. Right. Distraught winner. Distraught winner. He's not too happy about it. That's right. So what did you think of this movie, Jason, overall? Well, it was a horrible movie. And, but I knew that going in, right? Like, and we, even with the uh, with with the fact that it had a title of "Would You Rather" and a depiction, you know, the po- movie poster was a razor blade next to an eye. Mm-hmm. You you kind of know what's going to happen in this movie. You know what's what's going on. It's yes. a movie adaptation of "Would You Rather," and it's a horror kind of uh, gore fest kind of thing. Well. If I can, I would like to stick to the positives for this movie for a second, because I found some positive in this film, even though I more or less agree with you that it wasn't very good. A couple things jumped out at me about it that I thought were well done. And one is that it stuck to its premise. It stuck to a game of Would You Rather. It didn't end up being like a sort of a haunted house running around killing slasher flick, which I kind of expected it to be. I didn't. I went in expecting this to maybe start as Would You Rather or the whole concept of Would You Rather Do One Thing or the Other being a very loose sort of framework for the movie and they were they would just be doing your typical like slasher fest. So they stuck to the premise and I really appreciated that. And the other thing is I did feel some genuine tension 
when everyone was sitting around the table and the game was beginning, I was wondering myself, what are they going to ask these people to do? And I was a little bit worried about it. Not right. not saying I was sort of caring or worried about the, you know, the characters or the um, the fate of these characters, but I was sitting there tense wondering, you know, okay, the poster had a razor blade with an eyeball. What else are they going to do? What else are they going to make us watch in this movie? And I was I was feeling some tension. So in those two respects, I think the movie did a good job. I was mostly expecting a would you rather shoot him or stab her or poke your eye out or cut your tongue off kind of stuff. See, you're coming up with all the good ones now when you're not thinking about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's just the gory stuff. Uh, right. You know, the would you rather is, you know, would you rather have... The, the first would you rather uh, is would you rather... Uh, have the superpower of being able to fly or become invisible, right? Like the original one, not in the, the movie. original one. Yeah. So you know, and it, it really kind of has a. Uh, it it not neither one is better than the other. Neither one is worse than the other. But it does give uh, you know an insight into your into a personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would you rather? I was hoping for. I you know in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that it would. Uh, have personality traits coming out because that's one of the points of would you rather is it's a personal preference and therefore uh you know says something about your personality you know uh, you know are you a stabby kind of guy or a shooty kind of guy right and so would you rather stab him or shoot him you know really none neither one is better but uh, it's just a matter of a personality which is why i liked sasha gray in this film uh because she just kind of i think that was sasha gray anyway uh the one actress in this film, she was just like, I'm all out for me. And if it's uh, it's a matter of doing something to myself or doing something to you, I'm going to do something to you. Right. I'm going to stab you rather than, you know, po- poke myself in the eye. Right. So, you know, that kind of thing. I was hoping for more of that. And I didn't get it. Okay. I can I can see that. But I'm, I'm thinking of it more as an interesting uh, – it's, it's almost an interesting moral concept for, for a film because – the way they present it is like what you're saying. Would you rather do something to yourself or to someone else? And and then it moves around the table where the person you were just asked of, you know, to either hurt yourself or them, it's then their turn. And so as it goes around the table, you have to compound the fact of who's been, you know, hurt so far, how that affects their decision-making process. And I think it's an interesting moral concept. Right. And in the real world, it never gets, well, hopefully it never gets to that level of, um, you know, personal <laughs> injury and stuff like that. Right. You don't get to act on it. You know, in the, in the real world, it's just a would you rather and then yes. you discuss it. Whereas this was, uh, you're sitting around a table and you have to do the would you rather situation. Exactly. And, and I think that makes it an interesting concept more, you know, morally. Right? right? Would you, for, for what choices you're going to make in the end. So I think that's a really interesting, good idea. Is it possible, though, to make a movie around this concept that's any good? Well, no. But everybody knows that going in. See, I'm not, right? I'm not 100% convinced of that. Like, I think they could make a good movie out of this concept, and I think there were little bits of it here and there. I'm going to spoil the first Would You Rather in the film, Okay. Fine with me. Not all of them. Not all of them. If you want to watch this, definitely go ahead and do that. But the first one is two people are hooked up to like a battery, car, car battery, batteries. with uh, with a thing on their head. And the question is, would you rather electrocute yourself or electrocute the other person? 
Right. And then it moves to the next person and they're asked the same question. And as it goes around, you know, it affects the decision-making process. And I think that's an interesting philosophical debate. You know, your, your decision-making is, is impacted by hurting yourself versus someone else, whether or not that person has been hurt before, whether or not you've been hurt before, um, what the other person's mental state is. And if you think that when it comes around again, they would, you know, shock you kind of thing, all those things go into it. And I think those are an interesting, you know, set of circumstances, but the whole movie in general didn't really work all that well, even though it had some of those cool elements to it. That's all I'm trying to say. Right. And I so think you, they what you're saying is that it. it is possible to make a good movie with this concept, just they didn't do it. I think so. And I think they were, you know, maybe 50% there, but it just needed that extra bit to get over the, over the hump, maybe. All right. Well, maybe if they had bubbles from Trailer Park Boys, it would have been, you know, 75% there. Instead of just uh, Ricky, maybe I don't know. Maybe you need both those guys. That's true. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, you have to have all three. You have to have Ricky, uh, Julian, and Bubbles, and then you got yourself a movie. Yeah. Now the other thing, the so Large Junior, he plays this character who's, as I said, a former winner of this competition. So he's not in the main competition. So he's no. only sort of in the movie at the beginning. Although he does, he does have a storyline in this film which was absolutely 100% ridiculous and yeah. wasted. It was completely useless. It was there was no point to this storyline at all. None, none whatsoever. He did some stuff and it went absolutely nowhere. Like he was important at the beginning of the film. I got why he was there. I understood it. But then as it goes on, it made absolutely no sense what they did with that character and it could it shouldn't have even been there. It should have just been. I think they should have done more with it. I should have had. I think that his character and his plotline should have had an impact on what was going on with this situation, with this whole evening dinner thing, this whole game that these guys were playing. It didn't have any impact on it, and it should have. You're absolutely right. What I mean, what I mean is, like, it should have either gone somewhere or been totally cut out. What they did put in the movie was absolutely useless and silly. Well. <sighs> Other than the first yes, scene. Yes, I mean, the, but there's also the, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a horror trope. You know, they did this in Psycho, right? Where the movie takes a left turn uh, after the first 30 minutes, which is pretty much half the movie in this in the case of Psycho. But, you know, you, you, know, you, you have this plot that's going on, you have this character that's going on, and it just kind of goes nowhere and everything takes a big left turn. Psycho did it right. This movie did not do it right, but maybe that's what they were thinking. We have to have this situation which you think is going to have an impact on the plot, but really just kind of doesn't. Well, they need and to— that, And that's why they did it. Yeah, but okay, but they need to portray that better then. They need to yeah. give you something to believe is going to happen. There's not—that is that does not exist in this movie, in right. terms of Large Junior's character anyway. Um. And the one other thing I'll say about this is I did not buy the ending for a second. No, of course not. The the very ending. I don't mean the very, very ending. I mean the sort of the end of the Would You Rather game. Didn't buy it for a second, the way it played out. And I won't spoil it, which seems silly because, you know, <laughs> why not spoil it? But I won't in case someone wants to go see it. But it did not ring true for me in one, even one little bit. All right, so the old lady, her name is uh, June Squibb, and she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for uh, Nebraska, but did not win. 
Oh, okay. Well, good and for And that you. actor was played Wayun in uh, Star Trek DS9 and not Voyager. I think I might have said Voyager. And you don't watch, you've never watched Star Trek, so you wouldn't have been able to correct me. No. Nope. But it's actually uh, DS9. Okay. So, all-star cast. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, uh, there was one guy that I don't know where he came from, but that was about it. Uh, the old guy that at the beginning, who he made drink the, all the whiskey. Was he yeah, somebody? That, that guy, he, he played Weon oh, okay. in Star Trek DS9. All righty. Uh, he's okay. a Cardassian. He's what? Not a Cardassian. 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 Oh, all righty. Cardassians were around before the Cardassians. Sounds right to me. Yeah. All right. Would you rather? Not great, but I thought it had potential. And finally, Jason, the machinist. The I th- machinist. I think we have saved the best for last here. Yeah. Because, man, did I love the machinist. Oh, it's a good movie. This movie. Oh, it's really good. It's hard to watch, but it's a good movie. It's hard to watch. It's it's a little bit hard to watch, but I was riveted by this. I loved it. I tweeted after watching it how much I liked it and that I regret waiting 10 years to check this movie out because it's really? 10 years old. Yeah. Well, you should go back and watch Braveheart and Fargo. I, I might go. Well, I'm going to go back and watch Fargo because I want to watch the movie before I start the TV show. <laughs> right. But, but there's no Braveheart TV show, so that probably isn't happening. Is that a mistake? Uh, it might be. What? Braveheart TV show? Oh, maybe. I don't There's know. There's potential there. Do we need another one of those kind of TV shows? Another one? You mean like all the other ones? Yeah, like all the other ones. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if we do. Anyways, The Machinist. So, stars Christian Bale as a guy who works in a factory. He's insanely skinny. Like it, dis- That's one of the things that's really hard to watch in this, dis- Christian Bale. Disgusting. That skinny. skinny. Yeah. Like... I had someone a few years ago I used to work with telling me that I should watch this movie because it's really, really good. And I kept saying, yeah, I'll get around to it. And he told me that the only thing Christian Bale ate all day for however many months it took him to lose the weight was an apple, a can of tuna, and a cup of coffee. That's it. All day, every day. And he ended up looking like that. (sighs) I know. Tough. Tough tough it's really tough it was he must have been under the care of at least a couple of doctors because uh he looked really skinny but he didn't really look unhealthy like the movie uh really had uh, uh a very stylized coloring to it so uh so you couldn't really tell but i don't think he looked necessarily sick just mm. skinny yeah, but I'd argue that he looked skinny to the point of unhealthiness. Like it was, it was dangerous. But I think that he was being monitored. I th- yeah, he was for sure. I read that he was down to about 120 pounds, wow. and he was trying to go for a hundred, but the doctors wouldn't let him. They said, "No, this is far enough. You yeah. know, you're good. You do. You cannot get skinnier than this." Yeah. So he was being monitored. So I don't think in real life he was technically unhealthy. Um, but boy, did he not look good. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> you know. it was tough. It was a really good performance, though, in a really good movie. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. Um, It really, really felt, to me, it had a very Twilight Zone aesthetic. And I've said on here before how much I love the Twilight Zone. Everything about this movie felt like an extended sort of a modern version of a Twilight Zone episode to me. Even the music, even the score. There is all kinds of music in this that reminded me. It's the first thing that actually made me think of Twilight Zone. And But then I started thinking about it, and there's lots of stuff in here that 
I think is clearly influenced by at least the style and the storytelling, you know, methods that the Twilight Zone used to use. So, you know, being a big fan of that, it really sort of enhanced my love of this movie too. But even by itself, this movie is really, really good. It's, it's really deep. It's intricate. I got the feeling that there was all kinds of little hints included, Easter eggs, recurring patterns, you know, of, of different things in the film. Just a lot of detail in there that, you know, you might benefit from watching it two or three times. And uh, I don't know, um, I don't know much about the director, but he did a great job. And I wonder what else he's done, because this was a masterfully directed or conceived of movie anyways. Yeah, this is my second viewing. I watched this a few years ago, probably four or five years ago, and I really liked it then. And I think it was a good uh, period in between the watchings because this time I watched it and I knew something was going on, but I forgot exactly what the final plot point was. Oh, cool. So I I didn't know what was going on. I knew something was weird and I kind of figured out what was going on. I find, kind of remembered what was going on, but I didn't really until the end again, which just blew me away all over again, which was yeah. awesome. Well, things like, you know, one thirty uh, appearing on the clock a whole bunch of times in the movie. And then I think uh, even sort of, you know, something big happens at an hour and 30 minutes into the movie. And like all those little touches that just sort of enhance the whole experience if you're paying attention. And if you're not, they don't really take away from it, but it's right. really, really, really well done. And I mean, we haven't even mentioned Lawrence Gilliard, but he plays one of the other workers in the uh, factory where Christian Bale works. Yep. And uh, he's great. Like he doesn't have a huge part in this, but he does. He's almost comic relief in this movie. Well, sort of comic relief. He was just. Uh, he had a couple of, uh, well, at least one monologue, small monologue, but uh, he did a really good job. I thought it was. He was also played uh, beside Michael Ironside, which was who was also in Starship Troopers. <laughs> That's right. And they also have another similarity. But uh, if I say that what the similarity was, it'll spoil both this movie and Starship Troopers a little bit. Okay. Well, we don't want to do that. In fact, I I was thinking about this movie on my way home today a little bit, and there's another film that this movie reminds me of, and it's funny. It's the same situation. If I mention that other film, it will spoil something about both those movies. So I'm not right. going to do that. You could probably guess what it is, though, to be honest. Uh, I can't, actually. All right. Well, I'll tell you later. Um, but if you're listening out there, if you want to take some guesses, email me in. And if you want to know what movie I'm thinking of, send me an email, talkingdebtpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll tell you. But I don't want to so, blur So it Brad Anderson, who is the director, he's directed a lot of TV, including Fringe and Rubicon and uh, The Shield and Homicide, Life on the Street. He also did uh, movies. other movies were The Call and Trans-Siberian. Mm-hmm. You watched Trans-Siberian, didn't you? No. I know. I've heard of it, though. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Well, so he's done good stuff, but uh, anyways, he did a phenomenal job on The Machinist. Super great movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. Just be ready for um, Christian. Be, be ready for Batman to not look like Batman at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, he did this movie, and then he regained all that weight to do Batman Begins. Like, it's yeah. just shocking what this guy That's has scary. done to his body for his roles. Speaking of which, you, uh, you've you been watching um, True Detective? I have watched all of True Detective. With what's his name? Who's lost a lot of weight? Uh, Texas guy. What's yeah. Um, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I know who you mean. <laughs> I don't know why I can't think of his name, though, because we're, we're terrible at names. 
He just won an Oscar for crying out loud. I know. He was in True Magic Mike. Detective. What do I you want to saw s- Magic Mike? Neither did I, but I heard it was good. What do you want to Matthew McConaughey. That's him. He's lost a lot of weight. He did a lot of weight for uh, lost a lot of weight for Dallas Buyers Club. Right. And that doesn't look like he looks unhealthy. <laughs> I think that- he looks worse than uh Christian Bale did in The Machinist. Oh god, really? Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club. Um I'd like to talk about True Detective, but that's not really for now. So, yeah. If only there was someone from The Walking Dead in it. <laughs> if only. Yep. Um, okay. Anything else about The Machinist, Jason, or anything else about. Well, another actor in there was Reg E. Kathy, who was also in uh, The Wire. So just. <laughs> it's just, just so intertwined. Everybody in everything else. Yeah. It's a very cannibalistic uh, industry. They're all eating each other. <laughs> right? Well, I'm not sure. I think it's more coincidental than cannibalistic, but okay. whatever. All right. Well, Machinist, amazing. Definitely the best thing we watched for Lawrence Gilliard Jr. And uh, like you said, he was good in it. He was good. He had a small part, but an important part. And um, it well, was... the director directed the two episodes of The Wire. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There we go. All right. Go watch The Machinist, everybody. If you have to choose one thing from this list, make it The Machinist. Yeah. Then maybe make it straight out of Brooklyn. Uh, then would you rather? And the beast is probably at the bottom of the pile. And the wire everyone's already seen except me, so I don't have to mention that one. Right. All right. Whew, that was good. Um, next time on the podcast, we are going to be reviewing Rise of the Governor Part Two. And since we are a little bit behind schedule with the podcast due to my computer troubles, I'm not a hundred percent sure when that episode will come out, but it will be in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. And we are still planning our live call-in show for Saturday, June the 7th. And as I keep saying, I'll make sure all the, you know, final details for that are posted out somewhere when I have them organized. But it will be on that day. It will be late in the afternoon, Eastern time. And uh, we hope you can join us. Cool, cool. Um, all right. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, give us a call on the zombie line, 1-866-483-9662. It's a toll-free call. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Lots of great stuff going on over on Facebook. I just posted uh, something today that uh, a... um. Uh, oh, I posted the video to the interview that our listener James did with Jeff Kober. So if you want to see that whole interview, um, head over to our Facebook page and watch it over there. It's a YouTube video. Um, And finally, email. You can email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Jason, it's been fun podcasting with you tonight. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks, but we'll be back soon with, what, what, what did you used to say? We'll be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail or something like that. Really? I think you said that. I don't know if you coined the term, but I think I heard it from you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the uh, that's the PG version. <laughs> All right. Does the does the R-rated version include one of the seven bad words? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's not say it then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. We'll see you next time. Bye. What is a cockle? Do you know? I do not know what a cockle is, but I I think fuzzy's probably apt. All right. (laughs)